Hi, this is Rollin Fisher, lead pastor of Second City Church here in Chicago, Illinois, and we hope that you're well. Welcome to our online service. And as we continue in our worship today, we're going to go into the preaching of God's word. We're going to continue our series entitled Justice, and we're going to do so by uh, entitling this portion of the message, Continuing the Conversation. Even as last week we tried to provide a biblical definition for biblical justice, today we're going to try to answer the question of how we can work with God and alongside of God to respond to the sins in our society of racism and uh, racial injustice by being part of the biblical solution to justice within the spheres in which we find ourselves. So we're going to start with Proverbs 28.5 today that reads this way, that evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. And this is our hope as uh, an aim in going through this series, that we're seeking the Lord to align our heart with his heart. And regarding the issues of the day, we want to know Christ's stance on justice and how to respond as the people of God. So for that purpose, we're going to focus on this statement today, that we will come to understand biblical justice when we embrace Embrace empathy, lament, and the centrality of Jesus Christ as our hope. Before we do anything else, let's pray. Almighty God, we praise you today that your word gives us both your heart and your mind, and you've defined for us what biblical justice is. Help us to be people who are aligned with your heart to fulfill your purposes in our times. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's start with empathy. We're going to start with understanding that we come to understand biblical justice through empathy. And our charge before Christ is to continue the conversation and fight for change in all godliness and love. God intended the church to actually be the pillar and foundation of the truth in society and not be an echo to the culture. We're instead actually to be a voice to actually help shape it. So how do we do this though with the thoughts in the heart of God? Well, the Apostle Paul started writing for us in Romans chapter 12 verse 15 speaking about empathy when he said we should rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And this is a picture of biblical empathy. Empathy actually enters into another person's experience and helps them shoulder their experience as if it were your own. Now, Paul um, described this further when in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, he said that we should bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And what you cannot be whenever we see societal ills that have been highlighted for us as they have been in our hour is we cannot be both loving and dismissive at the same time. This is true really in any relationship, whether it be a marriage and a relationship with a friend or between people of different nationalities, cultures, and ethnicities. What empathy actually does though, is it means to have an active love for your neighbor. And pastor and author uh, Paul uh, Paul David Tripp actually said it and described it this way when he said that love for your neighbor means caring deeply about things that do not 
touch you or affect you in any way. And in regards to societal racism, a lack of concern would actually be perpetuating the problem rather than empathy answering it. And at the same time, we need to make sure that while we're attempting to empathize, that the love that we're showing to people is sincere. When the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9, he said that our love should be genuine, that we're to abhor what is evil, meaning even the evil of societal injustices, that we're to hold fast to what is good, that we're to love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. We're not to be slothful in zeal, but instead be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. We're to rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. Now, these are great exhortations to us when we think about the social climate of our day. But as we posture ourselves in this way, we need to remember that our social media world can actually be deceiving when we're thinking about the idea of empathy. This venue, meaning the social media venue, can somehow encourage us to empathize with people who we don't know to the neglect of the people who are actually right in front of us. Have you been guilty of something like this before? I know that I sure have, and I'm trying to change it. And when empathizing, we need to think globally, yet act locally. The question is, is when we're thinking about empathy, how have you not just hopped onto an ideological bandwagon, but instead loved and supported the people who you actually know? This is where true biblical justice begins, and it's how empathy provides space for understanding. When people are weeping in this hour because of the pain and trauma that has been inflicted through the sin in our land, we need to enter into this weeping with the love and hope of Christ. Now, what that means is that empathy can be uncomfortable, yet healthy empathy actually leads to mourning, and mourning can lead to healing when we turn to the Lord. Jesus expressed this clearly in his famous Sermon on the Mount when he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, that blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So what do we need to do as a church? We need to provide comfort to others in the midst of their pain, even as we also learn the importance of biblical lament. And when we speak about lament, we come to understand biblical justice through lament. Dr. MLK, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., actually gave us a picture of what lament looks like in the societies in which we live. He said this, that any religion that professes to be concerned about the souls of men and is not concerned about the slums that damn them, the economic conditions that strangle them, and the social conditions that cripple them is a spiritually moribund religion awaiting burial. Now, those are powerful and poignant words, but lamentation in a biblical sense is a term referring to a passionate expression of grief and sorrow. This is what the prophet Jeremiah was doing in his canonical book of that name in the midst of 
Israel sin. And whereas mourning and weeping can be an individual activity, lamentation involves interaction. Now, this interaction of lamentation should or lament should start with an interaction with God. And from that place, lament should produce godly action in our involvement with others on behalf of God's righteous purposes. Now, as an example of this, we can look to the, that uh, even the tw- civil rights movement of the 20th century and birthed out of the church the foundation of the civil rights movement um, on which the world is, whose shoulders the world is standing today, it was peaceful protest that actually saw the effort go forward. And what that is, is great encouragement to us that we don't ever have to believe the lie that godliness does not work. Even when we go back even further to the unjust persecution of Christians in the first century Roman Empire, the Apostle Peter authored these words to the church by the Holy Spirit to show us how to biblically lament and respond unto biblical justice. He said this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, that finally all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for this, to this rather you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, and oh, don't we all long for that in the midst of our present climate, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And I believe that the track record of God being involved in such responses to injustice speaks for itself as the group to whom Peter was appealing went from 100, 120 persons on the day before Pentecost to, according to Gordon Conwell Seminary's research department, 2.5 billion plus who identify with the name of Christ worldwide today. Now, this does not mean that all those who profess the name of Christ are representing him accurately, but what that does mean is that we have begun conversations that are leading people to the God of justice, the very God of justice who we're appealing to in our hour. And again, speaking by the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul continues his earlier exhortation regarding weeping with this instruction to the church in Romans chapter 12. Starting in verse 16, Paul says this, that we're to live in harmony with one another and we're not to be haughty, but associate with the lowly. We're never to be wise in our own sight and we're to repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. He said, if possible, so far it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, 
feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heat burning coals on his head and do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So what we see in scripture is that true biblical justice is in God's hands, not ours. And God's wrath will be realized by the unjust. We should not look to avenge ourselves or seek revenge against those who have mistreated us. But God has set a day where he will bring every man and woman into judgment for the things that they have done, whether they be good or evil, whether they be just or unjust. That means your wrongdoing. That means my wrongdoing. That means the wrongdoing of every person to whom we might be pointing our fingers right now for all the evils that they've done. And we need to lament not only over other people's sin, but first and foremost over our own so that we can actually be cleansed by God and be clean vessels to speak on behalf of God to the injustices in our land. Paul uh, reminded us of this when he spoke in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, which reads, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we see that God intends justice and something called redemption to work hand in hand. Yet, to redeem us from our sin, Jesus had to first absorb the penalty of our wrongdoing at the cross to satisfy the justice of God. And a price always has to be paid for justice to be done. Yet justice can be done without redemption. And I'd like to submit to you that justice without the idea of redemption is the far lesser thing. When justice alone is enacted, it might actually deal with the injustice that was committed and somebody who committed the injustice might be punished, but left without injustice, justice alone can end a matter, but it cannot fix a matter. Redemption is actually needed to not only deal with a matter, but fix it. And this is true individually as well as societally. Yet just as justice comes at a cost, so redemption will always come at a price. And the price will always be someone just like Jesus carrying a cross. And in our laments, God calls us not to forget redemption. We need to look for the goodwill of the very one who has declared our enemy to win them over with the same grace that Christ Jesus first extended towards us. This is what God means when he says in Romans that if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And specifically, Romans 12, 21, again says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is our charge as Christians, and this is our call as a church. 
Now, when considering these things of empathy and lament, people are continuing to ask the question when looking to God for how to join the fight for biblical justice, what they can do to help. And positive actions can be taken to seek the welfare of our cities as we live out the justice and redemption that God desires. We have to ask ourselves the question, what does doing good and righteousness look like in the different spheres in which we find ourselves? Well, I'd like to submit to you several options that you can think about as we're pursuing God for his heart, his empathy, and um, we're lamenting unto his justice. As examples, if you work in government, you can labor to develop policies that intentionally uproot the systemic injustices entrenched in our society. If you work in business, you can proactively look to extend merit-based opportunity and promotion to individuals who have been historically overlooked because of their ethnicity. If you work in advertising, entertainment, or art, you can change negative rhetoric by highlighting the noble and true attributes of misrepresented people groups. And you can look to invest through patronage and service in communities that have been underdeveloped because of preferential bias. And the truth is, is that anybody and everybody in our internet age can educate themselves about the metamorphosis of racism as it evolves from forced slavery, which was defended morally and ultimately legally in the U.S. from the year 1619 to 1865, to the Jim Crow laws, which were discrimination that were that was lawful and defended both lawful morally and often violently from 1865 to 1964, to the introduction of the Civil Rights Act that did not end legal discrimination, but at least gave African Americans legal tools to fight back against injustices to the modern business associated with things like the privatization of prisons today. If you're looking for a link, you could find a history link on our website as a part of this outline. But these are examples of how we can do good works in Christ right where he's placed us to see the narrative change. And this is how we participate in a biblical lament unto biblical justice. Now, as we do these things, there's a trap of which we need to be aware that can actually destroy our efforts. And as we are lamenting, we need to make sure that we are not antagonizing one another while emotions are running high. All of you know what I mean. And just as there have been violent opportunists showing up to disrupt and discredit peaceful protests, so there are demonic forces at work trying to turn the church on itself with a spirit of accusation. Let me tell you precisely what will not help the cause of biblical justice. It's any of us turning on people who are trying to do what's right. 
And you need to be careful when you say that people aren't doing enough. In some cases, that can be true, but you don't know what everyone's doing. What you cannot be is sinfully prideful. What you don't want to be is sinfully myopic. Because when you are either prideful or myopic, you actually also become part of the problem. And to a certain extent, it has become socially profitable to take up anti-discrimination causes. Yet, when someone, when you say that someone is not doing enough, what that generally means is that people aren't doing what you are doing. It does not mean that people are not doing anything. There are probably about 10,000 different ways that you can be active right now. And the church of Jesus Christ needs to fight as a team. We don't need to turn on one another, on one another, because that is precisely the trap of the devil. Jesus said this and highlighted this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, when he said, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. Someone in a recent Facebook post actually perfectly highlighted what we can do. They said that some are protesting on social media and some are protesting in the streets. Some are donating silently and some are educating themselves. Some are having tough conversations with friends and family. A revolution has many lanes. So you need to be kind to yourself and others who are traveling in the same direction. Just keep your foot on the gas. And though that's a great exhortation, there's a cycle of sin that we see repeated throughout scripture that we also need to guard ourselves against today. What am I talking about? Well, throughout scripture, we see this cycle that pride and arrogance typically leads to a feeling of self-righteousness where we feel like we have all the answers and we act like we're the only one with the answers. And self-righteousness leads to judgments. Judgments leads to hypocrisy where we're focusing on everyone else's sin rather than our own. And hypocrisy leads to discord, which ultimately ends in a lack of fruitfulness. Or put another way, maybe in this picture, the devil's playbook is threefold. That offense leads to division, which leads to destruction. And then he loves to push that button on repeat. Now, we need to continue to be godly thinkers and not simply get caught up in the emotion of our day. First, in 1 Peter 1, 13, the apostle Peter exhorted us saying, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So what should our action plans actually entail? Well, our action plan for empathy and lament can be fivefold. Number one, we can ask afflicted individuals to share their stories. Number two, we can actively listen with an open heart. 
Number three, we can commit to being a godly part of the solution at the point of pain. This is these are some of the examples I was mentioning earlier. And number four, we can pray for people. Then with those prayers, I would say that we also need to share the gospel. Number five, share the gospel. And if you aren't ready to do this, your confidence may in fact be in the wrong place. Why do I say this? Because it's a deception. It's a deception to forget that Jesus Christ is God's solution. It may not be man's solution, but Jesus Christ is God's solution for the sins of the human heart and thus society at large. So we need to maintain the centrality of Jesus Christ when we're thinking about biblical justice. And we come to understand biblical justice through the person of Jesus Christ. We must preserve the centrality of Jesus as our hope if we're going to move forward productively. And those of the aforementioned civil rights movement spearheaded by men of God like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. understood this. And a good brother of mine named Daniel Henry actually reminded me of the third stanza of the uh, Black National Anthem that my grandmother taught me when I was very young. And it reads actually this way and helping us understand the centrality of Christ in our efforts. It says this, that God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou who has brought us thus far on the way, thou who has by thy might led us into the light, keep us forever in the path we pray. I know many of you are hearing the tune and the song even as I read this. Lest our feet stray from the places our God where we met thee, lest our hearts Drunk with the wine of the world, we forget thee. Shadowed beneath thy hand, may we forever stand true to our God and true to our native land. So those who successfully, peacefully, and with the trust in Almighty God saw a great change in the uh, injustices in the land in which we live today, they did it by a dependency and a focus on the centrality of Jesus Christ. And we should also be active in biblical justice now, yet it must start in prayer and end in the person of Jesus. And if we've been talking about what we need to do before or more than talking to God, we have an idolatry of self and our results will be temporary at best. The writer of Psalm chapter 127 actually reminded of the, us of this when he said that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And if we've been shouting out more than we've been crying out to, um, to God for help, then it shows us something about where our confidence is misappropriately placed. No one needs to treat God, especially in an hour like this, like a cosmic Santa Claus who isn't real and isn't able to help real situations. That just as our faith is not substantive, if we're not doing anything to help 
real everyday issues. So our faith is not genuine if we find that we don't go to God to lord over our responses to these real issues. First, we need to identify our real enemy, our true enemy, the devil, who is working in the men, women, and systems of this world that produce injustice. Then we need to address the ideological battle, but do it spiritually. We do this even while we educate ourselves academically, communicate verbally, serve physically, and reform politically. This is why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, talked about the nature of our actual spiritual battle. And he said, finally, in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The real enemy are not the people that you're seeing on the screens, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. What Paul is saying as he goes on to talk about the armor of God is that Jesus is the answer to the societal sins and ills that we face. It is so because unjust brutality is a product of humanity's wicked heart. It is so because racism in any direction is also a product of humanity's wicked heart. And so it is good to get educated, but you still need a change of heart. Donate to affiliated causes, but you still need a change of heart. Have tough conversations, but you still need a change of heart. Participate in peaceful protests, not just to make yourself feel better, but to be a voice, and you'll still need a change of heart. And for that, we need a perfect Savior. And there's only one Messiah, and his name is Jesus. Matthew chapter 12, verse 17 through 21 talks about him this way. He says, behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice, the very justice we're looking for to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. So why does this make Jesus so appealing as an arbiter of justice? Well, I think it was perfectly described by Timothy Keller when in his book, Encounters with Jesus, he described Jesus as the one who brings true justice this way. He says, it is this paradox that he is both God and human that gives Jesus an overwhelming beauty. He is the lion and the lamb. Despite his high claims, he is never pompous. You never see him standing on his own dignity. Despite being absolutely approachable to the weakest and broken, he is completely fearless before the corrupt and powerful. 
He has tenderness without weakness, strength without harshness, humility without the slightest lack of confidence, unhesitating authority with a complete lack of self-absorption, holiness and unending convictions without any shortage of approachability power without insensitivity. I once heard a preacher say no one has ever yet discovered no, no one has ever has yet discovered the word Jesus ought to have said. He is full of surprises, but they are all surprises of perfection. And that's the perfection that we need to deal with the societal injustices and ills of the human heart that exists in our day. And Jesus perfectly empathizes with our pain, but he also lamented perfectly over our sin. Jesus suffered himself unjustly at the cross. So anybody who's experienced injustice know that Jesus himself experienced injustice when he went to the cross. And why did he go to the cross? Because he took all of our sin there, your sin and mine, and anyone's who we're pointing a finger at right now. And he rose again to provide forgiveness from that sin and new life in him. Paul the Apostle tried to summarize it this way when he was speaking speaking in Athens, when he said this in Acts 17.30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And the man to whom Paul in the scripture is referring is Jesus. That's why he needs to be this centrality of our focus and our hope when we're looking for biblical justice. So we need to remember always that no one is innocent. That way we have all been guilty in some way before a holy and a righteous God. And we all need a savior. Jesus is the one who will bring true justice to victory. He did it at the cross and he will do it in our lives as we repent, if we repent and allow him to do it today. And through biblical empathy, biblical lament, and a biblical focus on the centrality of Jesus Christ as our hope, we'll see true change in our land, not only now, but eternally as God himself is coming to redeem this lost and fallen world. But he does it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's embrace it. Let's embrace him and actually see redemption come to our land in Jesus' name. All right, so as we think through these things, I want to first start by saying to anyone who does not know Jesus in this moment, now is your opportunity to do so. You can look to every hope and program that are under heaven and earth and on earth, but they will ultimately fail you. Why? Because unless the hearts of men and women are changed, they will continue in their sin. And if you are concerned about other people's sin, you need to first be concerned about your own. And if you know that you're in rebellion to God now, let's start by looking in the mirror and saying, God, first change me before I hope to see anyone else change. And if you know you need to do that today, would you pray this prayer with me? Almighty God, I realize that I am a sinner. Not only have I been sinned against, but I am a sinner who deserves death and hell because of my rebellion against you. 
I admit to you today that I deserve this, but I don't want it. And I acknowledge that Jesus Christ came and lived the perfect life that I should have lived and died on the death, on the cross, the sacrificial death that I should have died. But because he was innocent, three days later, rose from the dead so I could have forgiveness of sins and new life in him. God, I'm asking you to make me a new creation by the power of your cross today and teach me how to love you and others from this point forward in Jesus name. Amen. Now, the good news is, is that if you pray that sincerely for the first time, God says that he's made you a new creation. And if you prayed that prayer, would you join me at secondcitychurch.com slash new life? There you can find resources and next steps of how you walk out this new life with Jesus as the author and only hope for true justice, biblical justice in the world in which we live. So join us now and please throughout this week, get involved in the community of faith, a multi-ethnic community where you can walk out that empathy and lament with others who are like-minded. And now if you did not pray that prayer today, but again, want to stand with me for all with me in prayer for all that's going on in our land, let's end this way together. Let's pray. Almighty God, God, we pray that you would help us to be people who empathize with this, uh, <clears throat> with those who are suffering because of the sin of the racism and racial injustice in our world today and help us not only to empathize, but to lament and to think about the good works which you've prepared in advance for us to do to be a part of the solution. God, we say that we're looking to you as our first and only ultimate hope in your mighty name, Jesus. And we're asking that you would help us to communicate your gospel and your life in such a way that it leads many to salvation through a change of their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go out in this week full of the good news of Jesus Christ that can actually bring true justice to our land. Let's empathize, let's lament, but let's ultimately point to him as our source of redemption in Jesus' mighty name. So God bless you. We'll see you this week in community groups. We'll see you next week for Worship Sunday. And please do bring a friend. Have a great week. We love you.